we are um, looking at the Lehman activities very, very carefully and all the issues surrounding Repo 105. In addition, we will be um, probing Repo 105 type issues with every major financial institution very thoroughly over the coming weeks. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Caitlin Kenny. Today is Tuesday, March 30th. That was SEC Chairman Mary Shapiro you heard at the top talking to CNBC about the SEC's plans to look into that complicated accounting trick, Repo 105. Repo 105, as I'm sure everybody is aware, is a accounting maneuver that can be used to hide potential losses. Lehman was doing it, apparently. Our blogger, Jacob Goldstein, has been writing about it and we'll have more on the blog today at npr.org money. So, Caitlin, today on our show, rebirth, resurrection, how companies die and how they come back to life. Well, one way they get reborn, at least. We're going to look at companies that take over failing companies and turn them around. All it takes is a couple billion dollars, lots and lots of hard work, and four-inch stiletto heels. We'll explain all that in a minute. But first... The Planet Money Indicator. It's 0.3%. That is the percentage by which housing prices rose last month. That is right. I said rose. Housing prices actually rose. At least in the 20 cities measured by the S&P Case-Shiller Housing Price Index. So most people are calling this good news, um, saying that housing prices may have found a bottom. Of course, compared to last year at this time, housing prices are still down, but not by much. So the rate of decline has slowed, and some are hoping is about to come to a halt. So, Caitlin, on to the subject of today's podcast, failure. And rebirth. (laughs) Right, and rebirth. So in a huge recession like the one we're in, obviously lots and lots of businesses fail. But failure comes in many forms. And how a company fails can have big consequences on how many people lose their jobs, what happens to the people the company owes money to, whether the company itself lives on. So one form of failure you probably heard of, a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The company doesn't go away. Some of its debts get canceled, but the company itself reorganizes and stays in business. Then there is the much more disruptive Chapter 7. That is when the company goes out of business completely. It gets liquidated. All its assets get sold off to pay back its creditors. All the employees lose their jobs. But there's a third thing that can happen, and that's when another firm comes in and buys the company that's on the verge of failing. So firms that buy companies on the verge of failure... They are called distressed investors. And today on the podcast, we're going to see how that process works. We're going to hear from the CEO of a distressed investment firm and from the CEO of a company that almost failed and then got bought by that distressed investment firm. It's a surprisingly gripping story. And the personalities involved, well, you'll see. Uh, So, Caitlin, shall we start with the head of the distressed investment firm? It's a woman named Lynn Tilton, and she runs this company called Patriarch Partners. Right. And Lynn's business is booming. There's a lot of failing companies out there, and Lynn looks at roughly 10 a week. Her company specializes in buying failing businesses, hanging on to them, and gradually turning them around, making them profitable again. But when she first gets to them, they're in really rough shape. They've sort of fallen, you know, to to the to, to the bottom layer, to the depths of despair. Because Are they like ten percent what they were originally worth. I mean, sometimes, 5%? sometimes, sometimes they're you know one or two percent of what they were originally worth. By the time we're buying companies, they're very much down to their basic liquidation value, which is what is the value of your inventories, receivables, and fixed assets in a fire sale. Not every company that Lynn takes over gets that bad, but they all need one thing. And it's one thing Lynn's got, extra money. And I was surprised to hear that a lot of the companies she's recently acquired are names that I'd actually heard of. We own MD Helicopters, which is Howard Hughes' legacy of uh, um, commercial and and military helicopters. 
Uh, we own 180s behind-the-ear head warmers and uh, high-performance products. Uh, we we have Snelling Staffing, which is a you know a, a well-known brand name in the staffing industry. Uh, Rand McNally. And the list goes on and on. Stila makeup, Dana bedding, perfumes. And, and Patriarch Partners currently owns at least a piece of 74 different companies. But Caitlin, before we go any further, we I think owe it to our listeners to paint a picture of Lynn Tilton because she isn't exactly your average CEO. To help you get an image in your heads, Alex actually stole a question that you might hear in a very different type of show from Planet Money. Who are you wearing? I'm actually, uh, I'm wearing a Cavalli top, a Versace belt, a Gucci skirt, and uh, I believe Prada boots. So I think my my daughter would describe me today, I'm the ultimate fashionista. (laughs) Talk about those heels. How long are those heels? Oh, they're probably... Four inches. I need to look sufficiently fierce to make sure that I garner the respect that I deserve. All right. So, and I think we also definitely need to talk about the watch. Oh, yes, the watch. It was the most bejeweled timepiece I've ever seen in my life. It had all five continents of the world on the face of it, all rendered in diamonds. Yes, completely covered in diamonds. I can. I have to admit, I couldn't stop staring at it. <laughs> I know. It's really amazing. And it's a testament to how well Lynn has done in this business, obviously. Patriarch, her company, currently manages about $7 billion. And most of that money is invested directly in the companies that she has purchased. And we asked Lynn to take us along with her to visit one of the companies who'd gone through this process. And it's a company that she bought when it was on the brink of liquidation. And this company, like so many others, is one you've probably heard of. We're going to go up to Spiegel Newport News' executive offices, mm-hmm. and Spiegel is from 1905, I believe, is the year, because we're always talking about these iconic American brand names that somehow lose their innovation and find their way to the precipice of liquidation. And so we're walking we into in the headquarters of Spiegel. It's in Midtown Manhattan. And we're with Lynn and, you know, her small entourage. There's a couple of PR people, her stylist, and a guy named Emil Gelati, who runs her entire consumer products platform. Emil was quite a character. <laughs> yes, he was. And we'll hear more from him later. We are on our way to see Geraldine Madonna. She is the CEO of Spiegel and the associated brand Newport News. And Geraldine was with the company for 20 years. So she was there when it was failing before, and she lived through the whole near failure and then the acquisition by Lynn's company, Patriarch Partners. And as we're heading upstairs, Lynn explained to us that Spiegel was a company she thought she could make a lot of money off of. Even though they're in deep trouble, she saw potential. She said, first of all, it's got a really recognizable brand. People know it. She also thought they had a really good system for allowing their customers to buy goods over the Internet. And she thought if she could turn Spiegel around, make it profitable, the company would survive. And let's be honest, a lot of those profits would go back to her. Right. So we gather in a big conference room with Geraldine, Lynn, Emil, and the rest of Lynn's entourage. And Geraldine starts to tell the story of Spiegel's near failure and rebirth. Um, and from time to time, Lynn and Emil jump in with comments. Um, so the story goes like this. In 2008, Spiegel Spiegel and their partners Newport News and Shape FX saw sales drop close to 30%, like almost every other company in America at this time. But Spiegel had a lot of debt and had two loans with two big banks. And with the drop in sales, it couldn't make its loan payments. And so the banks decided to foreclose on Spiegel's loans, which is pretty much the same for a company as it is for a homeowner. The bank says, time's up. We're taking the collateral. In the case of a homeowner, the collateral is the house. In the case of a company like Spiegel, the collateral is all the merchandise that Spiegel has in its warehouses to sell online and through its catalogs. 
So by spring of 2008, the banks had already begun the process of selling off Spiegel's assets. They sent a liquidator to Spiegel, and Geraldine Madonna was in dismay. When the liquidator walked in, when the bank said, here's the liquidator, you need to talk to him, and I, being in this business for 30 years, worked for this business and had seen many ups, downs, but many ups, and had a, sat there with a liquidator talking about my brands being liquidated was the most painful experience in business that I'd ever have to go through. What, and what do they do when a liquidator comes in? They basically in? talk to you about your inventory valuation and how much money they're going to get for your li- inventory, and that's it. Yeah. They don't care about they're the brands. And the- at this point, Lynn Tilton jumps in. It's, it's when they sell things at 20 or 30. They, they take out the clothes that have been designed and usually are shipping, and they start selling it at 20 or 30 cents on the dollar. So there was Cheryl Lynn, liquidator stocking the halls. And at this point, Lynn Tilton had already put in an offer to buy the company. But the bank that Spiegel had money to, they thought Lynn's offer was too low. They thought someone would come along and offer them more money. But Geraldine, she just wanted someone to buy the company because she was worried about her job and the jobs of her employees. But at this point, she was sort of stuck. She couldn't just accept Lynn's offer. Your boss is really the banks when you're in that situation. So went through motions with many other players, um, could have a whole movie and book about it. But at the end, it was um, it was May 30th. It was it was Memorial Day. Standing, it was Memorial was Day. Here comes Lynn again. I was standing by the pool with Geraldine on the phone, begging, because because I I frankly was tired of the process. The investment bankers had lied, people had lied. I had been in the same place the whole time. I told them where it would end up, and you know I felt like I'd been played not by you know not by Geraldine herself, but certainly by the people in the process. And Geraldine was on the phone, and she was saying, please, please, you can have this company now. I know you can. And I was like, Geraldine, I just don't believe in the, in the parties anymore. And she was like, you know, please, this company's a great company. I can make it a great company for you again. And I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll do this for you. I'll put this bid in, but it's literally got a 24-hour deadline. You, you must have it signed in 24 hours, or you cannot come back to me ever again. So that's quite an ultimatum. And, of course, it sent Jalen scrambling to get all the documents together, get them faxed to all the appropriate parties. But eventually she got the deal done on time. Turns out that was actually the easy part because when you declare bankruptcy, you're saying literally, I can't pay back all the people I owe money to. And in Jalen's case, a lot of the people she owed money to were her suppliers. But to continue to make a profit, she needs to continue doing business with these very same suppliers, the people she's essentially stiffing. And so that leads to a lot of very awkward phone calls. Here's Lynn first, and then Geraldine comes in. If you owe someone, you know, $2 million, you don't take that with you into the foreclosure. So those people have lost that, that money. And so but you, you still need, might want to do business with, well, business yeah, with them going forward. Yeah, or, or, or they may want to do business with you. So that's the painful phone call. It was our choice was liquidation, where you would have gotten nothing, or to have a new business model where we can... You're, you're still not getting paid on the past, but what we can do is offer you a lot of business in the future, and we'll try to make sure that you have the margins you need to try to be successful going forward. That's the pain. And what was that like? It's a lot of hard work. Again, Spiegel CEO, Jeremy Madonna. I think the most difficult one was um, a partner I've had for 20-some years in Asia and um, as an agent, and that was um, where you really have to separate your emotions to 
the business. And so this is somebody you've known for 20 years. Mm-hmm. It, it's basically fact. As Hazelin said it, it's like you either go forward or you don't. And is it one of those things where these phone calls, there's, there's yelling, there's crying, there's screaming, or is it sort of like, is it just sort of like all, all of icy? The, it's all of the above. Depending on who it is, the amount, it's all of the above. And of course, the suppliers weren't the only ones who were upset. Some of the employees, unfortunately, got laid off as well. But as Lynn likes to point out, they would have all lost their jobs if the company had been liquidated. And this is one of those things Lynn likes to talk about a lot, keeping American brands alive, saving jobs, and keeping families together. She does seem to be quite devoted to this mission. On the Patriarch website, it says, quote, Patriarch believes that making money and making the world a better place are not mutually exclusive concepts. And it is true, if Spiegel had gone through liquidation, no one there would have a job. It wouldn't be like what we saw when we were there, lots of employees in cubicles going about their business. But it's also true, at the end of the day, if these companies do make it, Lynn makes money, a lot of money, the kind of money that lets you buy a Jacob watch covered in diamonds. But Alex, that's a big if. The companies that Lynn buys were failing for a reason, and it's up to her and her team to figure out why, and then she's got to figure out how to turn them around and make them profitable. Right. So in Spiegel's case, the company was now free of debt because of these difficult conversations that Gerilyn had had, and it had a smaller workforce. It was ready to be profitable. And this, Lynn says, is the fun part, trying to come up with new creative products to sell. And one of the things Lynn likes to do is is figure out how the various companies that she owns can work together and try to profit from cooperation. So, for example, one of Lynn's other companies, Steel & Makeup, it has a big name but not that many customers. Why not have Spiegel, which has a huge customer base, sell Stila products? And Alex, one of my favorite examples of this actually came when Gerilyn took us on a tour. So we're walking around Spiegel, everyone's busy working, and then there's this wall that has all these page layouts for the catalog. And she stops in front of one, and I realize it's actually a picture of Lynn Tilton, and she's wearing this belt. Uh, it's sort of like a wide swath of fabric with the silk braided cord, and at the end of the cord there are these tassels, which you tie around your waist. And this is an ad that we put in one of our um, past... Uh, print print ads. We just mailed it last week, and so far it's got really good traction. This is the first time it had a full-page ad. Wait, what is this now? I, this I, I is a tassel me belt. Lynn, explain your Well, you know, it, we had a company that was making silk tassels that was sort of barely holding on. So I had to come up with something for that company. And so I came up with the idea of, you know, sort of a girdle on the outside, a tassel me belt, like an, an obi. And uh, we had originally really uh, thought going, you know, infomercial, and we we started it with Spiegel and got it out there. And Spiegel, with its great customer base, has really um, been able to start driving it and making it popular. And so now wait, we'll probably you, take it to the next level. Are you telling me that I that uh, when it, it, your vision is that when I walk along the streets of Manhattan in in a, in a year from now, there's going to be women wearing tassel belts, and it's because you had a tassel company and you needed some place for them to sell their They're tassels. Already wearing them. And and and, beca- and because I had fond memories of what I had once done with tassels. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. You know, we've reported a lot of stories here at Planet Money. We've hung out with a lot of business people. And they choose their words very carefully. I don't want to say they're stiff, but it's hard to imagine 
most of the people we've interviewed cracking an S&M joke involving a silk tassel company that they own. Yeah, for sure. And Lynn's not the only one. Her whole entourage is sort of this way. She had this guy with her, Emil Gelati, and he was so animated. He would tell stories and refer to himself by his last name. And Gelat thinks Gelat says. And once he got going, he just couldn't stop. He kept being like, Alex, I got another story for you. I got another story for you. Yeah, and he's really high up in the company. I mean, he is Gerilyn... Madonna, the CEO of Spiegel, he's her boss and he manages nine other companies like Spiegel. And so we were talking about how Lynn finds the company she buys. And usually it turns out they find her. They're in trouble looking for a buyer and either they or the banks that they're working with will come to Lynn essentially begging to be bought by her. And in the vast majority of these cases, Lynn passes, figuring there's nothing she can do to make the company profitable. But occasionally, according to Emil, she will buy a company that he thinks she shouldn't buy company he thinks can't be saved. So she went to buy a company called Jane, Jane Cosmetics. And I, quite frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, hey, this company's in tough shape. I can't bring it back, right? She said, July, you don't have my vision, okay? I know you can do this. And I'm saying, well, that's pretty good because Gelati looks in the mirror. I'm scared like, you know, it's, it's not a big deal, but I say. Well, Wait, what, was it, what was the thing that seemed worrying to you? No, none of the customers wanted to buy the product anymore. That was the first clue <laughs> when they lost every one of their it's customers. A small issue. There was, yeah, zero, small. There was zero revenue. Zero customers. <laughs> Just a small problem. I, 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 far out. <laughs> so, so there was zero customers, and they had no money, and they were in a bad business deal in the warehouse, in the office. So. Just a just a tiny little deal. Right. But Lynn didn't care. Me, I would have ran. Needless to say, Lynn didn't run. <laughs> right. And the company's doing better today. In fact, you know where it's selling some of its products? Through a little catalog called Spiegel. Right. Very odd. It's so funny. When we were talking to Emil, I, I, I found myself having to adjust the levels of my recorder all the time because he would get so loud. So, Shouting. Yeah. So um, owning 74 different companies in a bunch of different fields, it can give a person a pretty good feel for the overall economy. And Lynn's theory is that the period that we're going through now, it's going to get better, but it'll get better pretty slowly. And she says the housing bubble was this weird anomalous situation, which allowed American business to exist in a bit of a fantasy world, a world where consumers didn't stop spending money. So in 2005, 2006, people felt richer than they actually were because their houses kept appreciating in value. We artificially inflated the value of assets, and then everyone was capable of borrowing real cash against it. And then what happened was as asset values returned to some sort of realistic level, there were these high debt levels against them that actually need to be paid back with real cash. And so, you know, between homes and, and, and unemployment, and there, you know, look, I, I think as of today, we're talking about $13 trillion of loss of household wealth. People do not have the same money. And so we don't think revenues are going back to 2006 or 2007 levels um, any time in the foreseeable future. And, and so what that makes me think is that, like, in order to turn a profit, you, you sort of have to work harder to earn the same money. Absolutely. (laughs) Definitely work harder. Be more creative. So again, this is Spiegel, CEO of Jeremy The world has changed in two years. Because I think the behavior change, the behavior has really changed for the consumer. 
Right, and that means that the behavior has to change year. for you guys. Absolutely. Last year, I thought all I needed to get through is this year, and she'll start buying again. She changed her buying behavior. You the have consumer. To, the consumer. You have to stand on your head and do somersaults to get what she used to do in 06. <laughs> you call her she. She, yeah, our lady, <laughs> our lady. Do you, have a, do you have a picture in your head of who she is? Yes. Who is she? There's the Newport lady. The Spiegel woman wants to be the VP of marketing. And the Newport lady wants to marry the VP of marketing. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Right. And, but neither one of them are spending as much money as they did in neither 2006. One neither one of them. Priorities have changed. And she's changed the way she really views um, buying clothing. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that's interesting that, to me, though, is that, like, there's so... I mean, part of me thinks it's a good thing. You know? good exactly. Yeah. I think part of the whole opportunity is that if you're doing these things right and you're being more creative and innovative, you're going to gain market share. Again, Lynn told In general, companies and people need to be more fiscally responsible. I mean, you know, this is when it forces you to be better. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is, this is where you have to, you know, look at what the mistakes you made in the past, face the truth, look at how to change it. And frankly, people are not surviving in this market unless they're very large and they have the access to capital or they're really good business people. And that's what it's forcing. It's forcing, you know, each individual, each, you know, the talent to be better and for all of us to make money in a very different way. Um, there's no easy path now. It's, well, it's all obstacles. You get the sense, talking to Lynn, though, that the obstacles, that's sort of what she likes. She has acquired more than 10 companies since the end of 2009. All right. I think that's going to do it for us today. Be sure to visit the blog, npr.org slash money, to read more about that pesky accounting trick, Repo 105. And if the mental image we painted of Lynn Tilton isn't good enough for you, we've got actual pictures up there as well. And always please send us your thoughts and letters to planetmoney at npr.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Caitlin Kenny. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thanks for listening.